0: to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Shapley. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast this week. Hi, hey, Jeremy. How are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, good. I... Um... My wife's away this weekend, so I've got Scarlet uh, keeping her alive without help of mother, which is always an interesting one. <laughs> well, getting up you, crazy
0: early. You've done it before, so we have no doubt you'll you'll pull it off again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the the. the, the joys of like, obviously totally appreciating what she does full-time as a full-time mom and then having to do that myself as well as go to work is is insanely hard i remember at one uh, point
0: thinking to myself i can't wait to get to work to give a rest so <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, i miss her dearly but there is definitely times where you're just like wow oh my god this is hard uh, yes so i have an, a newfound respect for people with a f- kind of been through this uh, whole process yes. of having kids and,
0: and cheers to all the stay-at-home parents out there who do this
1: yeah absolutely wow. yeah Scarlett's very lucky
0: so our our talk this week we had wes hackett who uh, is uh very thoughtful guy and had had a lot of great topics so we it runs a bit long so rather than uh drag out the whole podcast i think we just do a little quick intro here and then move it on
1: yeah, yeah. For um, those that don't know Wes, Wes has been an MVP for a long time in the UK. Um, I think he said he got his fifth year puck last year, so he's a six year MVP. Um, but he's um, probably most known for being, uh, always having an opinion in any of the dev kitchens or any of the NDA discussions that we have, um, which you know, a lot of the other MPs got, MVPs go, oh, here we go again. But um, <laughs> it's always really useful to hear all those opinions because... You know, there's a lot of MEPs that aren't as outspoken as they probably should be, um, and you kind of have to pry out of them over a beer in uh, Bellevue after the dev kitchens are finished, so uh, you can always count on Wes to start the discussions in the mornings and in the and, sessions. And to be
0: fair, usually the conversation goes on well past his simple little question, so it certainly is worthwhile, and we all benefit yeah. from his. We, te- we tease him because we love him, but it's always great, great to have, so... So that's excellent stuff. Yeah.
1: And this show was really good because it goes into the details of like how he handles and pokes and spikes at the beta endpoint in the graph and um, how he deals with that with customers and setting expectations. So it's a super useful show uh, for anyone that's doing anything in dev, I think, not just for the graph, uh that working with beta stuff. So um, enjoy the show and uh, have a good rest of the uh, week. Same to you and look
0: forward to talking to you next week.
1: Cheers, Paul. Okay, we got Wes on the show today. Hey, mate. Good. We, um, we're using Microsoft Teams, and this week, Paul has had an upgrade, which means we can actually turn well, on Well, I video. like to say
0: that um, we had a problem, and like most businesses, I threw a bunch of money at it, and so now the problem will get worse before it gets better.
1: I thought I was talking to someone in the bush in Australia. The way that your internet connection was so bad that you couldn't even turn video. A face to
0: radio. I keep telling people there's really nothing to see here. Let's just move along. <laughs> but how you been this week?
1: And, and good. And uh, it's been a, a busy week. I'm I, my renovation is in full flow now, and Yina's um, gone on vacation for two weeks. So, this either going to be a really good thing or a really bad thing that my manager's not in town. But we'll see. I'm optimistic. How about you, Wes? How's your week been?
2: Uh, very, very busy. We've got a lot of um, clients who uh, are not having a summer break. They're kind of oh, wow. really accelerating through through into the end of Q3. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty busy for us.
1: It's cute that you say you have a summer in Britain because I remember those those summers and they were summers in air quotes.
2: Oh uh, well, we've had we've had above 30 degrees C for five six weeks. The really? weather's only just broken. Yeah, with wow. only just broken. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Rain last week, but uh, yeah, it was uh, a fun a fun trip over to, to to Bellevue week before last for the dev kitchen because uh, the temperature was actually cooler in Bellevue than it was back home. Yeah, so, it was Kind of nice to get some air. Yeah. Aircon.
1: <laughs> you had a break when that happened, although that room you were in was brutal.
2: Yeah, that yeah, one. the round tables didn't help either, sort of creaking your neck over for, for eight hours in a day. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, um, so for people that don't know who Wes is, who is Wes? Where are you from? Oh, right. What's okay, so, car? um,
2: ah, uh, well, yellow, probably. Um, so yeah, my name's Wes Hackett, I'm the chief technical officer at Add In 365. So we're a, an ISV based out in London, um, we predominantly um, produce productivity solutions for Office 365 um, and also uh, an office apps and services uh, MVP and have been for uh, six years. Um, so I got my little five-year puck last year um, and predominantly uh, spend my day running the technical team for us. So everything from touching things like Cosmos DB, um, Azure infrastructure bits cdn spfx basically if it moves on azure or office 365 dev space i've probably touched it at some point in the last 12 months
0: that's excellent stuff uh sounds very interesting to our audience and so what the what, uh, what is your use of let's start with a simple one right so how do you guys use the graph in your products and and specifically what things do you find easy to do and not so easy to do
2: so, we've been using Microsoft Graph since its inception, really, uh, and everything we produce as a product contains Microsoft Graph. Um, we have our productivity app called Workup, and that's got loads and loads of different services that Office three hundred and sixty five provides, brought together into a kind of productivity experience for employees. Um, and we showcased that last year at Ignite. So I was on stage with Yina, and we showed um, the, the the version at the time of, of Work Hub and how it brought together some of the services like pl- um, Planner, SharePoint, um, calendars, mail, those kind of pieces. Um, and and it's been an amazing journey for us because the the, the huge benefit of Microsoft graph brought was the for the first time there was a consolidated auth model for connecting to a whole collection of the vertical services in office 365 so we didn't have to write separate login code you know multiple prompts popping up and disappearing it was just sign in once get access to the services and, and entities that you need and actually unlocked a whole collection of really high value business scenarios that organizations can take care of so um it's been been a fun journey and i think the um balance between getting right on the bleeding edge in the beta and and getting that out in front of customers early uh, has has proven to be an interesting challenge and i think we'll probably need to talk about that a bit a bit more detail but the thing i found most exciting about graph is really the pace of change uh, i know um some feel that it doesn't cover all the bases they want. I know from the SharePoint developer's perspective, you know, they'd like to see every single SharePoint API that's ever existed brought into Graph, but in real terms, you get the auth token, you can go and call those directly anyway. Um, but when new services come along, like Teams comes along, it's got a Graph API, or Planner comes along, it's got a Planner API. You know, we, we're now getting first-party API access almost as those services come into life. So it's, it's unlocking scenarios where you want to take you know business solution and really bolt the things together
1: and because you're connecting to all those different services i mean if you were back the clock you know 10 years ago i guess yeah even less you would have been <clears throat> capturing usernames and passwords storing them somewhere and calling with an agent directly into those on-premises product solutions and you know, asking for service accounts to connect to every system like this is a different world that we live in now. That the graph offers, yeah. but obviously, you know, it's it's familiar with a lot of web devs. How do you think that's changed the way you talk with customers around what you're trying to build, like, and 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 your broad point of how, what products you build?
2: Well, I think the 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 first thing that that conversation changes is. Okay, you've got Office 365, you're using Exchange, great. You're using SharePoint a little bit. Maybe you've got an intranet and you've got some publishing content out there. There's a whole collection of other things that you're not necessarily unlocking as an organization because A, you don't know about them and B, you don't understand necessarily how to integrate those experiences together. So, that's kind of, you know, where our entire product line came from, is the opportunity for that integration, bringing them together into a context that a normal business user can understand, you know, they're trying to perform a task. It happens to underneath be a little bit of a calendar, a little bit of a plan, a little bit of a SharePoint um, list. They don't care about that stuff. And in the old world, what would happen is they would jump around those services vertically, whereas now we just can abstract all of that stuff and we say, hey, here's an experience we want to give you, whether that be in Teams or SharePoint or even in, you know, the office add-ins. And... We can kind of abstract that service and provide an interface or an experience that makes sense and and simplify that down. So they haven't got to, you know, do step one in Exchange, you know, in Outlook, and then go and do step two in a SharePoint list, and then do step three over here. We can just take care of that, and it's and it's really allowing, I think, today um, a big drive when you talk to customers in the sense of. How do you drive that usage? You know, Microsoft have been big about adoption, big about usage of the platform. You know, lots of organizations bought all these E3 licenses and they've probably used a couple of the services and they're not really using anything else. So if you can drop a product like ours in front of it, then you can suddenly unlock a lot of the value um, for the rest of the platform. And, and, you know, that resonates with everybody from the comms team because they want to be able to get their message to where people are working. It resonates with the CIO because they're interested in information security and obviously we've got a lot of the reporting and, and audit security stuff coming as well. Um and the CFO, because at the end of the day, they see the big spend on the 365 license and the lack of usage. Mm-hmm. So if you start unlocking that usage, you you, you can yeah, really accelerate the um, the kind of uptake of the Office 365 environment. I,
0: I, I totally agree. I think that trying to explain to users, well, we want to use SharePoint for this and Teams for that and Planner for X. I, I do get a lot of glazed eyes. And so I would imagine that. Providing a solution that just targets a user doing what they're trying to do, as opposed to throwing technology at them, certainly is going to meet with some success, right? Is that match your experience?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean we we've been really lucky because we've been um, we've been working with Microsoft Teams rollout since you know before it was kind of publicly around. through a number of our our, our customer engagements and the, the first thing that teams did when it rolled out was confuse users <laughs> you know this this well in real terms it's like the single pane of glass idea in in when it lands in front of somebody and you start saying oh this is a single pane of glass that exposes these other 30 things that they've never heard of they're kind of like okay where's outlook <laughs> And Teams gets pushed aside and used as a chat window, and and Outlook continues to be their document management, their foldering, their you know be all and end all. So so we've we've seen we've seen our approach and our on our on our product suite really driving usage of Teams. And again, the 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 graph is is allowing us through those Teams APIs and the other APIs in in the platform to kind of not tell the user they're using Planner as far as they're concerned. They've got something to do, so they better get on with it. You know, and That's the process they're going through.
1: And, and the surface layers that you use from a UI perspective, are you building all this in your own kind of UI or are you um, kind of bootstrapping into add-ins and Teams tabs and different things like that?
2: i i i can say with great confidence that the the only way that i would ever allow our engineering team to produce integration is through the supported surfaces Mm -hmm. because you want the employee's experience to feel like it's part of everything else yeah so you know there's no good having this big customized experience you know like the intranet the internet products space is a very interesting thing you know there's some products out there that that for all intents and purposes, is an Azure platform nothing to do, and it's just connecting back to the core services like a database. That doesn't that doesn't resonate well with the, with an employee who's kind of oh I'm looking at Word and it looks like this, and I'm looking at this site they call a Teams site, and it looks like this, and Teams looks like you know what it looks like. So all of our all of our integration points are surfacing in what I would class as the supported extension points and you know we 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 chatted um at mvp summit i know about do you do you customize or do you extend and i think customization is trying to rip out the investments microsoft made and extension is trying to add value to them Mm -hmm. and we have a a a very huge slant to extending We, we would like to make sure a customer does use as much as they can from microsoft because you You know, you guys deliver more than anybody else would ever be capable of at a velocity that most, you know, it's like a fire hose of of new features. So you've got the opportunity there to extend that to, okay, what does this business do? Oh, and they can use this bit of tech behind it. Let's, you know, extend it in a way that makes that fairly abstracted and seamless and and, you know that's the powerful bit for graph for me which is you know we can go from um the windows experience we can go from the mac experience we can come into the same team's ui and we can do the same activity on by the way it's using Ten things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: User doesn't. User doesn't care. As far as they're concerned, they're building a report or they're building a an RFP so with response you or something. Looking like that.
0: more natural or more native with all these different platforms. Do you find the pace of change difficult? or Are you just lockstep or closely behind? How do you guys manage the changes in that 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 context?
2: So, from a UI point of view, we might. You know, we make make our stuff blend completely you know we we the biggest compliment we hear from from a customer when they're using it is we don't really know where you stop and start (laughs) we know stuff's we we know stuff's in there because we've bought it and we're using it but if you took it away that's the only time we'd really realize which bit was yours and 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 it's kind of it's kind of counter to again you know where traditionally extensions and, and customizations were. Customizations was, you know, we've all heard the line, uh, you know, let's make it not look like SharePoint. Well, that's okay to a point. But if you're trying to be productive and you're trying to work, you know, having a button that is no, is no different to the Microsoft button. People are familiar with that UX interaction. They understand if I push this, this is the kind of thing that might happen you're sticking with that kind of modern framework. I mean, we were early adopters of SharePoint modern UX as well. And, and you know, for all of its um, kind of it's still got gaps. But for the most part, if you're dealing with the modern UX and you're kind of dovetailing in, you know, you've instantly got the access on SharePoint mobile or Teams mobile. You've instantly got access to, you know, Fabric UI. So, your interactions are identical and people seem to forget about the end user and uh, in 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 so many scenarios they're they're forgetting that something that feels sexy and cool to a designer feels clunky and disjointed to a normal person that maybe only works in outlook and excel all day so it's 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 kind of for for us is you know you've got the api suite that's connecting everything together you've got a user experience model which you know microsoft spend a lot of money i'm guessing on on trying different UI layouts and love them or hate them, they've come to a decision. You know, white space in places, um, you know, spacing gaps. You know, I see a lot of headers getting removed and stuff like this. And I just think, where's the value in that? You know, it's like someone goes on support sites for, for Office and they're trying to find out how to add a column to a to a list do you really want to change that you are no you don't you want that list to kind of look the same it just happens to have different values in certain parts um, so that's kind of our mantra we want to we want to appear seamlessly integrated to everything else and we don't really want to ever get to a position where it's a jarring experience find,
0: I'm sorry to follow so, up on, but I'm, because, I'm curious about the, the pace of change right does, does that cause you more pain than it's worth or are you uh, able to adapt easy enough <sighs>
2: Um, Like for the API,
0: more stuff gets added to the
2: graph and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So so in three years, I'm tempting fate now, but in three years of using graph since it was beta, there wasn't even a version one. We've built our, our ALM and our DevOps to cater for using cutting edge. And we have to be honest with our customers about that. We have to say, right, you you know, this feature that you, you, you're you using, at any point it could be broken and we might not have an SLA on, on how quickly that gets fixed. Now, you can guide your customers on on being able to take early advantage of those capabilities and say, right, let's go and um, you know, use the Teams API to do a whole bunch of things, but Teams API is all in beta. Mm-hmm. So at any point, it could be completely broken. So you know, how many provisioning solutions of of people built out there that are using those APIs to fundamentally govern the creation of Teams that overnight could could break. So you have to kind of have one from a customer relationship point of view, you have to know and be able to talk to your customers really carefully about this is the risk, this is what we can get as an advantage as an organization by using that part of the platform. And then as an ISV partner, it's our responsibility to really stay on top of that stuff. So we, we, you know, we have to have um, multiple tenants. I mean, I spend an obscene amount of money on licenses for basically <laughs> fake people every, every month for the for the ten or so tenants I've got dotted around the planet. And it's because you know we've got different rings, we've got different rollout cadences. We've got to make sure that that the, the product functions in America. You and look Amir like a and- Cambridge
1: analytica <laughs> basically. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know, if I ever wanted to spoof from a bunch of email domains, I'm I'm well set up. But it, but it's it's, it's that Prime kind of Minister? DevOps process. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that won't Probably wouldn't be where I went. But yeah, <laughs> the, the the kind of fun with uh, you know DevOps. It, it, you know, DevOps is a big topic and we've seen some some good outputs in the community around you know how to automate a single solution. You know, So we've got an SPFX web part and it's like, how, how do you push that from coding on your machine right away through to production? But what I'm thinking about in terms of DevOps is much broader. It's the sense of you need to gear the, the engineering team up to think in a DevOps mindset. You need to have them thinking at any point, we, we need to be able to down tools, take the code that's currently in production fix it redeploy it and we need to get that out in 190 minutes and we need to be able to push that out automatically lights out and potentially do that without an approver physically in the building so using visual studio team services you know we can push all of those changes to our production platform effectively lights out for the most part you know there's approval steps gating and, and rings that are, it's released through but it's not a published from Visual Studio, which is, you know, when you see some enterprise development setups, it's kind of like, you know, they have one person that does the deployment to the dev server and then one person that does test and one person that does prod. You know, as a product company, you have to gear yourselves up a, a lot more professionally to to manage that change.
1: So so do you offer a product version, edition, SKU, whatever you want to call it, that only uses production APIs, i.e. V1?
2: yes we do um nobody's ever taken it because they all want uh, the, the juicy new bits yeah they all want the juicy new bits and and the the creative side of our uh, you know our offering is in those juicy new bits yeah. it's unlocking it's unlocking value i mean we we recently had a uh, microsoft case study published um for one of our customers uh that's rolled out teams very aggressively so they've they were a merger of two very large media agencies. They came together into form a sort of ten thousand person organisation, and within three months were were pretty much onboarded to to a team's experience using our our, our our product suite, and and that kind of unlocks them getting on and changing the way they work. You know, mm-hmm. this idea big bars around digital transformation. Digital transformation is a is a is a much broader thing than just tech. It's it's saying, yeah, we got tech. That's a light switch. Cloud's given us that. How do we employ it? That's the next step. But actually, how do you go through the change, adoption, and embracing of the new way of working? You know that needs to be bolstered as well. And and I've got a, a session at Ignite um, touching on one aspect of this for really for for bots in Microsoft Teams, um, and that's going to be talking about how you can uh, bolster Teams adoption using a bot capability, you know, how you help automate content, how you bring employees, you know, the process information of how to do something right to where they're doing it, right to Microsoft Teams, you know, the Teams API, the, the SharePoint API, they give us enough capability now. So the UX surface in Teams is, you know, the Teams apps. One part of that is bots. So I think it's a uh, a new thing you can take advantage of. And and it's really um, how aggressive your organization wants to be at doing that. And and to stay on standard means you're kind of foregoing that and potentially your competition aren't. So do you,
1: with the, obviously with beta, just for people who are unaware, um, we ship things in beta on the graph because we want to get feedback from different ISVs and enterprise customers that are using it. Um, yep. We do in the statement on the website explain that we have the right to change maybe the parameter. Excuse me, the parameters on the endpoint, or maybe some of the. Mechanisms under the covers of how it works out a certain thing and return a different payload or accept a different payload. And we, we try to announce those things in different mechanisms and, you know, it's something I'm kind of working on with the engineering team to try and get better at. Um, but it does mean, as you say, that at any point in time there could be a, a, a change in the behavior of certain endpoints inside the graph that your product's expecting to return in a certain way that now returns in a completely different way. So, do you run integration tests that just call the APIs just to keep like a, a litmus test or like a canary type thing of, you know, has it changed, has it changed, has it changed?
2: Sort of, sort of. We, we will we'll do a two-pronged ato- approach to this in the sense of, firstly, we, we do what you described. We, we, we will ping the known usage, API. you know, of all the APIs we use. We ping the ones that are critical to the function of the app. Um we then within the UX will work out, can we fall back? If we can't fall back, what's the experience? If we can fall back, what's the experience? So a great example, um, you, you, you may or may not have remembered from last year, the, the Teams API came out in beta. There was at some point a change to the underlying EDU endpoint that it was abstracting that meant the date formats were wrong. Mm-hmm. So you would say, get me, get me my joined teams, a fairly innocuous call, and then suddenly it would come back with a horrible exception, saying, oh, I don't understand the date format, and you know whatever had happened be below the scenes that had fundamentally broken the API, no data returned. So. A good example of a UX fallback is firstly, we said, well, we've got a cache of what your state from last time you logged in and it will still be valid. So that's OK. We'll, you know, locally in your storage, you've got some information we can leverage. But secondly, we said, okay well, join teams. Isn't that different from um, joined uh, groups? Our, and teams is clever because every time you create a team, you get a folder at first level called general. Or whatever the language equivalent. Okay, so let's do a slightly more complex set of um, you know, UX calls that says, right, get me my groups, get me uh, the, the drives off all of those groups that I'm not that have, are not in the cache because I don't know what they are yet. And can I find a general? If I can find a general, it's probably a team. We can still light that up as a as a join team. So you can as an engineering lead, still think about how you can provide service with some kind of sensible callback. And then when you have that conversation with the customer, you can actually show them. You can say, right, if we, you know, break the API, and the simplest way to do that is obviously have a parameter that you can say, you know, run in broken (laughs) mode um yeah we've, yeah we've we've actually got one <laughs> running broken mode it's quite a fun fun switch um you can actually prove to the customers like okay this is what your experience will be if that api falls over uh and they can either say yes i want to be on that bleeding edge and you know potentially that happens occasionally or no i don't give me the standard and as i said like, we've been fortunate we work with some fairly um bold organizations and most if not all have said for the off chance that it breaks, we're getting so much competitive advantage in that space because your, the tools you're giving us, we'll take that risk, and it's a kind of known quantity.
1: Sorry, as a follow-up, how many of those have you experienced? Just so, because people are going to be like, "Oh my god, this is happening every week!" Like, how many of those have you kind of hit?
2: So, I, I, I figured you might ask me this question, so I looked it up. <laughs> we've had three in three years. We've had three. Okay and
1: so two the, of the which date were on the format was two, one two, mm-hmm.
2: yeah uh, there was another one where we were simply being throttled uh, on a teams beta api um and that came and went um <coughs> so it was kind of like it appeared for 24 hours and then disappeared so we assumed that there was some kind of back end upgrade going so on. all that came <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the stuff you were doing yeah and then back at the before before v1 we had something else uh, around the groups API uh, which broke and broke in a fairly fundamental way. I think they re- I think they did one of those hugely breaking changes of mm-hmm. this is a whole new entity model. We're removing it from one API slash to another. But there was no global rollout date. You know, it didn't all switch over in one go. It switched right. over regionally. So we had this kind of weird situation where one customer would say, hey, it's working broken. And then we'd go and deploy the new version onto their tenant that morning. And that's because their tenant had gained the update. Right. So, there, you know, there was we couldn't do an auto switch because there, there were some fundamentals in there that have broken it. But yeah, I mean, if you think about three years, three breakages, um, that's pretty good going. And I, and I, and I actually think It shows the depth of engineering prowess by Microsoft that you have an API surface now which is considerably wider than anything we've ever had before, touching so many different services who all have their own API mechanisms under the covers, I'm guessing, and it's stable. Even on beta, it's stable enough that you can, if you choose, work with educated, you know, educated guesswork and risks about what may or may not be common breakages and work around those and I I think it's testament to the graph team that they've brought the whole organisation along that journey to understand that by unlocking these scenarios early, giving us beta access early, we can actually be creative giving real feedback that isn't first party, you know, because when conversations with Yina and she was talking about, you know, first party apps are still the biggest consumers of graph endpoints. Well, of course they are. Mm-hmm. That's what you'd hope. But in the ISV community, you know, we're able now to sit there and say, right, with great confidence, we can start building upon and leveraging a capability that comes out with the knowledge that, okay, it'll evolve and we'll get new endpoints and some things aren't there yet, rather than. Waiting for a V1 that may or may not be three, six, twelve, nine, you know, nineteen, three years. Who knows when when things will move to V1? Right? It, it, it's it's a new it's a new paradigm, and I think um, I think it, for, for an organisation that's consuming those providers and, and consuming maybe even an internal build, as long as you put the checks and measures in place that says this is how we're doing things, this is why we're making these decisions. The you know the the value of that cutting edge stuff can can be the make or break of of being able to do business more efficiently. Um, so I, I think it's a it's an exciting time. And and you know if people haven't yet jumped on and tried Graph and they're still sticking with only SharePoint APIs, they're missing they're missing a trick. That you know the 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 SharePoint API surface is huge, but there's a whole collection of other things you can use. You know, I'm still still waiting for the stream <laughs> API to come into Graph, you know, give us a video portal and that will be pretty cool. But um, it is it is an evolving surface. And, and going back to the, uh, Graph Explorer and, and, you know, one of the, Every session I do on Graph, you know, the the big URL to remember is aka.ms/ge. That gets you straight into Graph Explorer every time, first time, gets you to the documentation off that menu. So you, you can jump there, use it as your tool, try things out, get the right data. Then, okay, now my UX idea can be validated because I've got a data model that supports it now let's go and build. Now let's work out what we can actually achieve with that. Where do we need this stuff There's a, to service? There was a lot to
0: un- unpack there and it was all great. But one thing that resonated with me is, you know, earlier we were talking how people saying, where's the SharePoint stuff? Where's the SharePoint stuff? And now we're, we're you're talking about the stability of the endpoint, even though it might be beta. And I think that that because they have those back end APIs that aren't on the graph they they kind of figured out the feature set that they want to expose and so now it's a matter of restifying it if you will and i think in in the long run that can benefit developers yeah. because you won't see something in the graph that you've never seen before generally so there's a feature that's being used in the product or somewhere else and now they're just trying to bring it into the graph so i think to to your point about how it's it's been relatively stable i think that's that's kind of different from what we've seen in beta in other products right
2: yeah yeah, yeah, definitely, and, and I think the the, the SharePoint APIs, are, in my mind, is a really special case um, because you know Dev Kitchen is a great example. Lots of SharePoint developer representatives there from MVP community, ISVs, you know, independents, you, you name it. Lots of different viewports of what critical SharePoint APIs are missing from from the endpoint, and it comes back to how do you approach extending office 365 if you're doing sharepoint 2019 on prem and you're doing sharepoint only development yeah crack on go go straight to the api it's huge it's been around since 2003 or before we've you know all got the t-shirt of how complicated sharepoint development is the the 365 model is It's one of many services. It's a content service. Now, that can be content in publishing. It can be content in teamwork. It can be content in records management. You you know, there's lots of different ways that that manages content, but it's still a service amongst others. And we can get at any SharePoint URL um, on REST through getting a graph token. We can exchange that graph token. We can use the AAD auth to, to get us at a SharePoint URL. So then it comes down to what's missing from the rest endpoints. You know, I think the taxonomy stuff would be most people's number one go to when you're asked that question. Um, But it's it, it, it for me is if you're trying to do more complicated things, you know, if you're trying to use a lot of those SharePoint pieces, if you're in a SharePoint web part. Use the SharePoint API. There's still plenty of validity to doing that. You don't go out to the Graph API to call SharePoint when you're in the SharePoint page context. It seems a little bit overkill in my mind. But if you're out in a you know Windows Universal app, or you're out in a mobile app, or a, a web site that is is you know just one part is connecting to 365. If there's if there's gaps, it's really about okay, how do we extend that gap? How do we get through to the SharePoint API? So it. it SharePoint's a special case, I think, in my, my mind. I mean, the the um, complexity of that SharePoint API is interesting. And I think, I know, Jeremy, you and I had a big conversation about graph SDKs around mm-hmm. their value. And, and not their value as in, you know, we shouldn't have them, but does it abstract? And, and you know, my view is a little bit. I think if developers globally learn the rest syntax and mechanisms uh to more depth they would find that waiting for an sdk did didn't become a necessity Uh, i know you know we 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 had the conversation about how quickly can the beta endpoint be exposed in the c-sharp sdk or the you know the, the the typescript sdk it's To me, the the SDK has always been a glorified object model. It's give me the SDK to give me all of the entities that I can serialize the the payload over the wire back to a C-sharp class or the payload to a TypeScript model. I still want to know how to call the REST endpoint correctly, and I still drill into the engineering team here. Know your REST endpoint. Know what you should do to be performant. Know what you should do to to only pull the data payload that you need. And then if you want to go and use the SDK over the top, you'll know which bits of the SDK to use. Just jumping in and saying, you know, dot notation to get down to something, you're probably pulling way more properties, way more content over the wire than n- n- necessary. And you run much greater risk in my mind of d- by doing that of using someone's data plan on their mobile device. You know, we can't assume we're all sitting on a fat internet connected laptop in an office. Sometimes we're out on the go and you're also running potential problems of throttling. You know, if you're grabbing a thousand records when you only needed 10 because you didn't put, you know, select top or uh, a filter that would do that. Um, You have that kind of additional payload coming down the wire and you scale that out to a 10,000 seat organization and suddenly you're hammering the service and it says, no, no, not not happy about this. I'm going to throttle you down and everybody loses out.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely interesting and I, I, I'm trying to get Daryl, who actually he works remotely um, three weeks out of four and he's in the office this week and I was talking to him yesterday about getting him on a show with uh, with you actually in the future where we talk a, bit, a little bit more in depth on the SDK side of things um, yeah. which is useful. I wanted to step back on the using the ORF token to call the SharePoint REST APIs because I'm sure there's a lot of interest in that. When you're calling Graph obviously there's this whole consent flow that you do, whether it's V1 or V2, Um, whether you declare in the app registration, these are the permissions to various different things like sites and lists that I want to have, or whether you do it in the app dynamically in code that at that point in time your app wants to use it, it'll check whether yep. it's got permissions, and if not, it'll ask the user to consent to it. How do you use that token to then fly over to SharePoint and do stuff on the direct REST endpoint for SharePoint rather than graph?
2: Oh, that's put me on the spot. Um, so
1: I can I can, I can can uh, tell
2: you that in the Ignite session that Yuna and I did last year, there is an entire five-minute section on this, but the overall process is you need to give your consent for what you're trying to access. So, if you're trying to do sites or, you know, read all site collections, mm-hmm. which is a pretty… When you talk to an admin, that's a pretty scary thing a for scary them to hear. One. Read all site collections. So, they're like, what? Every bit of data. It's like, well, not quite. You'll still be behaving as the user. Um and then you basically get the SharePoint site URL and you say, let me exchange that for a SharePoint token. And then it AD gives you back the SharePoint token, which you then can use in the calls. Now, I've not come across a situation where SharePoint has refused that token to call an, an API um, based on the consent. Uh, I think the... I think the general consensus is there are some gaps. I think there are some things in search because some of the search ones have got post and that needed some additional mm-hmm. logic. Um but on off the top of my head I can't think what they would be. Yeah. But there is a there is a pretty, pretty big um Pretty pretty big surface area. You can still call. You can still do most things like modify navigation, um, do those bits around UX manipulation, content type kind of creation and stuff like that. But again, you know, thinking about thinking about solution design now is is a is a you know, let's say it's an MVC app or a you know Angular or or React client side implementation. Is going directly from that into those back-end services you know, the right way for you as an organization to be doing it? Would you consider a logic app or an Azure function and actually connect into to those back-end services via those functions? And, and again, if you're in that role as an architect, you've got so much to know about now, even in relation to how do you structure an enterprise application correctly to give you scale, cost footprint, security, you know, depth of service. Even before you consider, am I calling Graph or am I calling SharePoint? Because I think the 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 old way of everything's done from a call from a UI that doesn't scale anymore. You know, browsers are already getting bogged down in rendering and you know, working out whether I should fly this panel left or right. You don't want to load on top of that. Oh, I need to process a whole bunch of JSON across the wire back and forth. That you know a back end server or a you know serverless stuff in the functions is going to be better at doing. So it it for me is is a very complex problem space in the sense of you really do need to have put your architectural hat on uh, you know as a as a developer and get familiar with auth get familiar with what the value of the azure functions suite can give you you know if you're using something like cosmos db do you write your logic in api tier in c sharp do you write your logic in the um, TypeScript down on the store procedures, where is the best place to put the logic for scale, for performance, for, for security. Cloud has unlocked so many scenarios now, but it still fundamentally requires you as an architect to think about how you're going to you know, provision service out to an organization. And I think the the ease at which we can now spin stuff up actually is, has started to sort of hide the pain until it gets into prod and suddenly you go from 15 devs writing a piece of software to 15,000 people using it and then, you know, it doesn't scale or, or you suddenly find the app services costing you $10,000 a month <laughs> instead of an Azure function, which would be 80, 80 cents. You know, you've, you've really got to know your stuff now. In, yeah, in, and in and platform. I like
0: to point out that if you really have to reach to 17 places to get the data, your end users probably are already saying this solution is too complex. I don't want to go to 17 places to put data out there so we can take a step back. And, and I think the need yep. for that multi-resource token process is probably... It, to me that's almost um, an anti-pattern right why, why do we have stuff like this uh, let, let's talk about this and see what we're doing And to your point was it makes sense to various layers maybe you maybe you can abstract that away and, and make it much simpler so I think that's all pretty terrific stuff yeah
2: well, you also get the complexity of, of delegated versus app only right I mean mm-hmm. the, the some <laughs> I laugh a little bit at that sometimes because a, whenever a new API comes out or a new service comes out, the first thing everybody builds is a provisioning <laughs> solution. You know, it's like, it's like, hey, look, I can provision teams automatically from PowerShell and I can do that in a functional and I can do that in a Power App. Everything's about provisioning. It, you know, we're a bit lazy as a, as a community when it comes to being, in, you know, thinking outside of that box. But the next thing when it comes to provisioning is, okay, what are the constraints on provisioning? You know, lots and lots of Um, shortcomings in, in people's minds around the Teams API because it didn't have app only. We couldn't run it as a service principle effectively to provision Teams out into the ecosystem in a tenant. But I'd argue, was the Teams API really predominantly put there to be a provisioning solution? Because if you think about democratized creation, where Microsoft have driven us is, I think, a really great place of, if I'm an employee, don't get in my way. Just give me the ability to go and create a team, get on with stuff. Oh, and if you want to, if you want to come and tidy up and polish the sides a little bit as an IT function or a governance function, great. Do that without telling me. But but it's you know it's interesting. I watch these conversations on Twitter about you know I'm building a provisioning system and I think to myself, oh, yeah. that's the thirtieth that's gone into PMP in the last ten years, right? It's not it's not it's not really creative. It, it's 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 not using that graph and thinking, oh, where is the cool stuff? I mean, I, I, I love this new Windows Timeline thing. And imagine the power that we can get out of that and graph and connecting one device to the experience on another device and thinking about the Office 365 scenarios that we can go through with Windows Timeline. You know, I, I, I get all the little excited buzz and go and scribble on the whiteboard immediately because it's like, okay, when when that's unlocked, I can go and do these things. Mm-hmm. That, that for me is where graph yeah. is so exciting. It's much more exciting than an individual services because, ah, now that user that was on their iPad or, you know, has, and can go to an interface and say, right, I want to bring this to my desktop PC when I turn it on and it's like, boom, there it is coming up. Um, you it's, know, it's actually drawn
1: me to use Edge because I have a laptop for work which I roam... In the meeting rooms with, and then yeah. every engineer here gets their own tower PC, which obviously is the fastest kit I've got. Um, yeah. And then at home, I have my own tower PC as well. And having Windows logged in with the same account on all three, you know, I immediately have that in my timeline and can leap around. Um, and it's amazing how quickly now I'm used to that. That when you go to a machine that doesn't have that version of Windows on it, you're kind of like, oh, I've really <laughs> missed that capability. Yeah. Yeah, how can I
2: jump back to my document or how can I jump back to that app I was running right. in or context or what, the hell was of what I was I doing last yes, night? It's an amazing tech. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah there's a, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And and you you know, I think um, again if uh, it might be different internally at Microsoft, but I think at the moment it's only consumer ID that that works yeah, on. That's correct, so, yeah. you know, if you, yeah, if you're logged in with a corp ID, it's not going to really be anything you're going to go and investigate yet. And, you know, once that scenario gets unlocked, it is going to be exciting. It's going to be like, okay, let's infer some use. Let's go and look at that timeline. Let's go and do some things with it. Drop some stuff into it. Think of, you know, just think about the influence on the internet that that might have. You know, dr- dr- just, just ponder on that one because we've, we've got this situation where at the moment comms are like, oh, I need to get my message out. I need to get my message out. Well, timeline, right? If people start using timeline and let's start manipulating what shows up in timeline you know that's a scenario that suddenly gets you into we can intelligently get stuff into people's consciousness without Bombarding them with email or bot sending them to a, a, a fairly static homepage. We can actually get okay. You were working on this and this and this. Let's tell you something from our CRM and, platform. And every and put it in user that has feed. their own.
1: Be an every user has their own
0: venue or, sorry, or application, right? So if I write an adaptive card for timeline, I can certainly yeah. push it out through email or a bot or so on. It just it's it's crazy. So we can work smarter, not harder. I think that's the whole goal, right? Making life easy for us developers because we're all that matters.
1: <laughs> yeah that, that would be an interesting scenario that I've, I haven't seen the radar yet around that being app only the teams one I think it makes sense because they picked the the first priority that they they needed which was by them having tabs and conversations they needed to be able to do the, the user flow calls first um, and they've mentioned that they're working on app only and I won't steal their fund on when that's coming but um, that that's something to you know definitely is going to unlock the provisioning guys but I'm hoping it unlocks bigger scenarios outside of just provisioning from an app only perspective for sure cool well look this has been a really good discussion mate I um, will definitely see you and catch up with your ignite what's the best way yep. for people to keep in touch with what you're doing are you blogging a lot are you tweeting a lot
2: um my, my blogs gathered a little bit of dust because I've been so busy working on working on actual work well, um, and you have a new the best way yeah yeah that as that as well um, so that's spare time gone um, <laughs> the, the, the best the best time ty- the best way to, to kind of get in touch with me is through my Twitter handle which is just at where's hack um, and that's where I'm most likely to pick up um, conversations Uh, I do use Twitter quite a lot more than I do most other things. And, of course, we'll see you at Ignite. And uh,
0: if there's a link to that session on the Ignite site, we'll definitely get that because I found the session catalog very hard to navigate and find things in, so we can uh, pinpoint folks going to that. So... uh
1: yeah, that, that that's a feature, Paul. They're trying to make it like uh, okay. an Easter hunt.
2: excellent. So if you could just send over a link, Wes, we'll we'll make <laughs> yeah. it easy for folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's cool.
1: Yeah, that's cool.
2: I mean, it's it's uh the the, the session is uh, breakout thirty two seventy six, which yeah. from the search, and it's on Thursday at twelve forty five p.m. So lunch just mm. after
1: lunch. Thirty two um, what? Um, thirty two thirty six. The 3276 I'm speaking and I still don't even have a speaker spot speaker uh, pass yet which is awesome <laughs> so I could you, if you see me running being chased by security guards you know what happened yeah <laughs> well sure you just should you just wave your mics so yeah them, it doesn't right? work at these events the security team no, don't tend to care, team, too don't do care too much no yeah. I saw that last year it's Excellent. kind of funny cool well look I appreciate it mate and uh, thanks for coming on that was super useful and um, yeah we'll definitely yeah, uh, get you back on the show to talk a little bit more I'll tr- we'll try and line up with Daryl to see whether we can have a discussion around SDKs because I think it's great to have both sides of that coin in, the, in a discussion
2: yeah I know we'd, we'd obviously chatted um, publicly on, on Twitter about the, the, the inputs and, and viewports on, on SDKs so, yeah, thanks for
1: that Wes awesome
0: Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes.